Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to House of Horrors. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner. Here on the Believe Podcast Network. The number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? What's up, everybody? My name is Jonathan B. Lerner with Believe in House of Horrors on the Believe Podcast Network. On this week's show, we're going to do a deep dive look into one of the most iconic, celebrated horror films of all time. I thought this one was very fitting for tonight because it has to do with isolation, with seclusion. It's a great film. It's a Stephen King film. I'm talking about The Shining. Picture it. That aerial view of the mountains. The Shining tells the story of the Torrance family, Wendy, Jack, and their little boy, Danny. In the film, it's played by Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, and their little boys, played by a little boy that I'll find the name of. I know he's never been in anything else, so who cares what his name is, am I right? The little boy's name, of course, is Danny Lloyd. I knew it was Danny. Anywho, Jack Torrance is given the job of caretaker at the Overlook Hotel during their off-season months. He and his family are to live at the hotel in complete solitude. Little did he know that Well, actually, he was told, right from the get-go, the hotel manager told him that there was a dark past here at the Overlook Hotel. A former caretaker, his name was Grady. Well, he went a little crazy, and he ended up murdering his wife and their two daughters. And then he blew his brains out. Yes, it's a dark, dark chapter of their past, but it's ancient history, and we hope it won't affect your decision, Mr. Torrance. Well, it didn't. He still took the job, and he went with his family to the Overlook Hotel. But boy, it did not take long for things to take a dark turn.
Yes, these little ghost twins follow Danny Torrance around, and all hell breaks loose in this hotel. In fact, one of the penultimate scenes is, you see, Jack Torrance is a recovering alcoholic, and when things start to go badly in the hotel, his family seems to be coming undone at the seams. Well, he finds himself roaming the halls, walking into the big abandoned ballroom of the Overlook Hotel, and he basically, he actually says, I'd give my goddamn soul for just, just a glass of beer. Then Lloyd the bartender shows up. Before you know it, there's a huge party going on, and he doesn't seem phased by it. It must be ghosts or something, or maybe it's all in his imagination. All we know is that he's enjoying himself until he gets bumped into and he's caused to spill a drink all over himself by a butler that feels terrible. The butler, of course, takes him into the bathroom to clean him up and offer more apologies. And while they're in there, it's revealed that the butler's name is Delbert Grady. Delbert Grady? The, the caretaker who Jack Torrance was told about? The one who murdered his wife and kids? Jack doesn't beat around the bush. Oh, no, he doesn't. But he's also surprised by the response he gets. Miss Grady, weren't you once the caretaker here? Why not, sir? I don't believe so. You a married man, are you, Mr. Grady? Yes, sir. Hmm? I have a wife and uh, two daughters, sir. Hmm? And, uh... Where are they now? Oh, they're somewhere around. I'm not quite sure at the moment, sir. Mr. Grady, you were the caretaker here. I recognize you. I saw your picture in the newspapers. You, uh, chopped your wife and daughter up into little bits. And uh, then you blew your brains out. Strange, sir. I don't have any recollection of that at all. Mr. Grady, you were the caretaker here. I'm sorry to differ with you, sir. But you are the caretaker. You've always been the caretaker. I should know, sir. I've always been here. Now, that leads to a bunch of questions, and it's one of many things that leads to many questions throughout this film, most of which go unanswered, really. And depending on who you talk to about this movie, you'll probably hear different versions of what it's supposed to mean, what it really means, and all that stuff. But what I can tell you for sure, for certain, I'm just certain about this, is that Jack Torrance is a ticking time bomb. He was always, you could tell from the very beginning, Stephen King, by the way, hates this film. I think it's kind of ridiculous, but he does. He hates this uh, adaptation of his novel because he says it's one of the most ridiculous things, I think, that he says is that Stanley Kubrick was so cold and I'm warm. You see, in my novel, the... 
hotel burns down in his movie it freezes there's the difference between the two of us huh that's just one thing that stephen king did not like about this movie i'm not exaggerating when i say that he i don't to be honest with you i don't think he liked stanley kubrick i really think that's what it came down to i wasn't there so i can't say for sure but hearing him talk about it which i'll play for you in just a moment I do get that impression. Um, he wasn't thrilled about the casting of Jack Nicholson because he felt he felt that it was important for Jack Torrance to go through a transformation. At the beginning of the film, when the family arrives at the Overlook Hotel, Jack Torrance is a sympathetic character. He's likable. He's warm. He's a good father. He's made mistakes, but he's relatable. And we need to see him over the course of time lose that warmth, lose that sense of self, lose that goodness, and turn into the monster we know he becomes. Well, Jack Nicholson, and it's pretty funny because it's true, even in the beginning of the Stanley Kubrick film, you know Jack Nicholson is not having any of this bullshit, okay? He's a ticking time bomb, as I said. But here's the catch. While Stephen King was not thrilled about the casting of Jack Nicholson, I don't know who he would have been happy with. Rumor has it that while Nicholson was Kubrick's first choice for the role of Jack Torrance, the other actors considered were Robert De Niro, Robin Williams, and Harrison Ford. And Stephen King hated all of them. <laughs> he hated all of them. So, there you go. Now, Stephen King, a few years after this film came out, he went on to make his own version. It was a miniseries. He cast an actor named Stephen Weber. Who? No. Come on. What? Stephen Weber, who is renowned for... Jack Squat. So, let's just go ahead and bank on the fact that Stanley Cooper got that right... With Jack Nicholson and Steven Weber, I mean, what the hell are we even talking about here? There are so many, I told you, there's many questions that, depending on who you ask, you'll get different answers when it comes to this film. This film is highly analyzed, highly picked apart. There's an entire documentary. It is called Room 237, obviously referencing the haunted or the one of the most haunted rooms in the film. And the it's like a two-hour documentary, no exaggeration, where people just go through these, ins frankly, over-the-top theories about Stanley Kubrick's hidden messages and why this was like that. Why does the little boy wear a space sweater? It must be some sign that we never landed on the moon. It's pretty incredible. In insane, but I suggest you check out the documentary Room 237. Now, I mentioned Stephen King not liking this film. That is true. That is absolutely true. But don't take my word for it. You can hear it from the man himself. I have a real problem with The Shining, and uh, Stanley Kubrick knew that I had a problem with The Shining. Uh, I had a discussion with him beforehand. Uh, he said, Stephen, Stanley Kubrick here. Don't you agree that all stories of ghosts are 
fundamentally optimistic. I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, if there are ghosts, it means we survive death. And that's fundamentally an optimistic view, isn't it? And I said, well, Mr. Kubrick, what about hell? And there was a long pause on the telephone line. And then he said in a very stiff and very different voice, I don't believe in hell. And I thought to myself, well, that's fine. But some of us do, and some of us believe that ghosts may survive, and that may be hell. And that was sort of where I was coming from with The Shining. But in the novel, The Shining, uh, Jack Torrance is a difficult character, but he's fundamentally a, a sympathetic character. And I always visualized him as a piece of metal that's bent first one way and the other by these malignant spirits who basically want his son because his son is a psychically powerful person. So I saw these all as warm characters, characters that were being threatened by forces from without, from ghosts, from real supernatural creatures. And the film is extremely cold. Stanley Kubrick saw the haunting as coming from Jack Torrance, from the Jack Nicholson character, whereas I always saw it from outside. So we had a fundamental difference of opinion about it. I always thought that the real difference between my take on it and Stanley Kubrick's take on it was this. In my novel, The Hotel Burns. In Kubrick's movie, The Hotel Freezes. It's a difference between warmth and cold. But the images are striking. There's no doubt about it. I mean, Jack Nicholson's face in the doorway, his bearded, crazy, grinning face. He says, here's Johnny which was his ad lib, and it became, you know, part of the movie. So the images are striking, but to me, that's surface. It's not substance. So I used to describe The Shining, the film, as something like a beautiful car that had no engine in it. Which is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, sorry. That's like to describe, look, you can like the movie, you can dislike the movie, but to describe a Stanley Kubrick film as surface and just it's a good looking car with no engine there's no real substance there what i mean again i just don't it was hard for him to even say that they had it had nice striking images i think i just don't think he likes stanley kubrick period but i will say something you know he says in my book the hotel burns in the movie the hotel freezes the hotel does not freeze jack torrance freezes outside of the hotel the hotel does not freeze. So that alone is kind of like, well, what movie were you watching, slick? But alas, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, by the way. So it kind of makes me sad and, and, and kind of weirded out that he doesn't like it. It's that's to be honest, that's why I feel like it's more of a personal problem he had with it, because I feel like as the Matt King of horror, he should like this. It is a scary film. Now, he mentioned the difference it's true. In his book, the the um, Overlook Hotel does burn down because of a boiler problem and whatnot. But that's just one of many, many differences between the Stephen King novel and the Stanley Kubrick film. For one thing, here are some others. For one thing, in the book, there is no hedge. There is no hedge maze. Yeah, in the book, those are actually like those are hedge animals. And they come to life. 
as opposed to the maze in which they get lost. I like the maze much better. Now, I granted, I haven't seen the animals, but I'm glad I haven't seen the animals, frankly. Some other differences. In the novel, Jack Torrance, towards the end, when he goes on his rampage, he uses a, a croquet mallet. Jack Nicholson in the film, of course, uses a huge axe. <laughs> I like the axe better. How are you going to get a, how are you going to smash a door down with a croquet mallet? Come on now, let's be real. But that's just one of many differences. So as you heard Stephen King say, the famous line, here's Johnny, was in fact ad-libbed by Jack Nicholson. Um, there are some other fun facts about this film. The exterior shots for the Overlook Hotel, that was the Timberland Lodge. The Timberland Lodge, a real hotel in Mount Hood, Oregon. All of the interior shots, however, were shot at Elstree Studios outside of London. So yes, there is no Overlook Hotel to go visit. However, there is, see, the real Overlook was inspired by... The Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, which actually has its own haunted history. And the sets that you see in the movie, while they were filmed in Elstree Studios in London, they were based off of the Awahani Hotel, a grand hotel in Yosemite National Park, California. The ground floor of the Yosemite Valley. And if you see photos, which you can easily find online... The they're striking. They look exactly the same. So that's pretty cool. And one very volatile topic. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> um. Yes. So, one other fun thing I'll talk about before we move on. This. Oh, one thing that always stands out to me. It, towards the end of the film, when Jack Torrance is chasing his young son Danny through the um through the maze. In the snow, the blizzard, one thing that stood out to me, even as a young kid watching this movie, was the fact that you don't see any breath. It is supposed to be bitter cold out, and we're, and he's panting because he's, he's running, and we don't see the breath. That seems like a very obvious flub, in my opinion. Yeah. So Stanley Kubrick, a master director, a master filmmaker, he made this film... So this actually was a response film. You see, he had just made a film called Barry Lyndon, which is a highly visual period film where he used only natural lighting. I can't, it must have been a nightmare to make, but a huge artistic achievement. And while it was recognized for its artistic achievement and its technical, you know, prowess, the film was not a box office success, and it was kind of derided by critics for being too long and too slow. So Stanley Kubrick, disappointed with that and Barry Lyndon's lack of success, he felt he had to make a film that would be both a commercial success and artistically filling. Stephen King was told that Kubrick had his book, had his, had his staff, had Kubrick's staff bring him stacks of horror films because he knew those always did pretty well. And it was The Shining that spoke to him, and yet he went on to change everything. I like a lot of Stanley Kubrick films. From what I've read and what I know, I would have hated 
hated, 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 hated to work with him. He was OCD and he would have actors do scenes over and over and over and over and over again. And that would have driven me freaking insane. It would have been awful. There's a story of him having the actor who played Dick Holleran do a certain scene like 79 times in a row. And it actually drove the poor man to tears. He was played by Scatman Crothers, a great jazz musician. He was also in One One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He did not deserve to be tortured that way. But anyway, I digress. Speaking of torture, so we talked about how the character of Jack Torrance, as played by Jack Nicholson, is kind of a ticking time bomb and very, he doesn't come off as warm or loving ever. Well, that's true. And if there's one thing that throughout the course of the film becomes a topic of contention, kind of a touchy subject, well, the subject of their son, Danny. He's not doing well in this hotel. He's clearly affected. Something is wrong here. Wendy wants to take him out of the hotel and take him back into civilization, perhaps to a doctor, just get him out of the hotel. Jack does not like that idea at all. You are concerned about him. And are you concerned about me? Of course I am. Of course you are. Have you ever thought about my responsibilities? Oh, Dick, what are you talking about? Have you ever had a single moment's thought about my responsibilities? Have you ever thought for a single solitary moment about my responsibilities to my employers? Has it ever occurred to you that I have agreed to look after the Overlook Hotel until May the 1st? Does it matter to you at all that the owners have placed their complete confidence and trust in me and that I have signed a letter of agreement, a contract, in which I have accepted that responsibility? You have the slightest idea what a moral and ethical principle is, do you? Has it ever occurred to you what would happen to my future if I were to fail to live up to my responsibilities? Has it ever occurred to you? Has it? Aren't they just the loveliest of couples? Hell no, motherfuckers! If you enjoy this show, please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Actually, I guess iTunes doesn't technically exist anymore. Apple Podcasts, or whatever it's called. We're also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn. Basically, wherever podcasts are found. If you can find podcasts there, you can find us there. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Believe, that's capital B-L-E-A-V, podcasts. And of course, feel free to follow me. I'm at J-O-N-B as in boy, L-E-R-N-E-R. That's J-O-N, no H. B as in boy, L-E-R-N-E-R. That's my handle on Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.